series of seven deadly sins and today is about rage so just thank you god for joanna and the gifts that you've given her and how you speak through her heart god and just thank you for all the many ways she blesses us and all the on all of those spiritual gifts that she's going to share with us today we ask that you just help us god just to push all those distractions away um turning off our cell phones whatever it is just help us just put it all away even if we know that we're one of these people that gets angry and and has outbursts just just help us not to be afraid to listen yeah and just help us to open up our minds and our hearts and just to really god to feel you and how you want to speak to us today through through Joanna on this subject that we all have problems with we all get angry god and we just ask you to open up our hearts so we can hear you and that you can help us just to to help be better people. Thank so thank you God for speaking to Joanna and for blessing us with her and for blessing her in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Cam. Hi guys. I'm so glad you showed up when I got scheduled to speak on the August long weekend. You just just you never know. Who's going to be glad somebody else is here. And of course, our, uh, our sermons go online, and um, I know that our, I, I'm sorry, as you heard, my name's Joanna. I'm the assistant pastor here at the church, and our lead pastors are in northern, very northern BC, almost at the Yukon border this week with a missions team, and um, they're going to be listening online. So let's all say hi. Hi, guys. Hey, we miss you. We love you. Hope you're doing well. Don't know what day you're going to hear this message, but whatever's going on, we're praying for you. So that's the, the little virtual shout-out. So as Kim already said, our, our church is going through a summer teaching series on the seven deadly sins. A little break last week because we were hearing some family stories from our friend Kirsten. And we're going to have a little break next week because we're going to be hearing stories from what's happening in Lower Post right now today. So we're sort of sandwiched in the middle. So going to start with a little, just a little bit of review. I mean, why... This is such a classic um, phrase, the seven deadly sins. And I said to Gordy, it sounds like a summer blockbuster. Like I almost imagined us all having popcorn and Cokes when we were going to do the seven deadly sins series. But, um, but you know, they, why bother to study them? One phrase that I came across, instead of using the words deadly sins, there was one writer who I really liked, and she used the phrase capital vices. And the reason why she made that distinction was that she said, first of all, I think they should be called capital because they're the root sins. Like, they're the ones that kept showing up on these lists that were made by church forefathers and mothers saying, you know, these are the main sins that a lot of other things spring from. And then um, this particular writer said that she found the word vice to be a more helpful word than a sin because... Um, Sin is kind of an all-encompassing word, but a vice is not something that we're born with, and the opposite of vice is a virtue. So a vice isn't something that we're born with. A vice is a habit. A vice is something that we develop over time. It's not like something that's part of our genetic makeup. It's not our, even our personality or our nature. I think we can, you can have a personality that kind of can steer you more towards a particular vice, but it's an ingrained habit that you practice over and over again. Either the vice or the virtue are habits that we practice. And a great analogy 
Um, this, this writer, her book was called Glittering Vices, Rebecca Conan Dick DeYoung, and I, I reference a lot of stuff from her today, so I'll just credit her right now. But she uses a really great example that helps me. I'm a very visual person, and I, I work very well with pictures. And she said, developing a vice or a virtue in our life is like if you're going to go tobogganing, if you're going to go sledding in the wintertime, and you go to a place where nobody's been tobogganing before, and the snow is all fresh, and there's powder there, the first time the first toboggan goes down that hill, what's that like? Slow. Slow. Kind of hard. Kind of hard work. So what if you send sleds down that same track over and over again, all morning, all afternoon? What does that track start to look like after a while? Slippery. It's slick. It just happens again and again. And she said, that's how vices, what they're like in our lives. They become ingrained habits. And unless, you know, you're when you're going down the hill, you're going to stick a boot out to stop yourself or make a dent in the track. It's like that, but the same is the true with, with virtues, with, with good habits of, of godliness. Um, and, and that's why we're bothering to study it, and that's why such a list, and there's multiple different lists like these, list of seven deadly sins that have existed in the Christian faith for centuries, is not just so that we can sit around and think about how bad we are, but for the purposes of self-examination, so that we can actually think. Like in the same way that if you know that you're sick, instead of just generally kind of hoping that you're going to feel better, if you have a surgeon who's going to be able to go in and deliberately remove a tumor in an area and get that tumor out of there, that's the purpose of why we would use an inventory for examining ourselves because, you know, if we're going to, one, one writer suggests, if we're going to count our blessings, naming our sins is important. And so that's why we would bother to go through a series like this. Um, and the question that we've been asking ourselves through this series is this one that's on the screen. How does understanding this sin or the pattern of this sin help me to become more Christ-like? more like Jesus. So we're not, again, we're not just sitting around thinking, how can we just sit around all summer thinking about how terrible we are? We all know that we have, thanks Karen for laughing, we all know that we have bad habits in our lives, but the purpose of understanding these is so that we can specifically name what's going on in our lives. And discipleship is important to us as a church. It's something we've thought about a lot, especially in the last year. We as church leadership, we're believing that if you keep showing up here week after week, that you're then inferring by your presence here that you're serious about being a follower of Jesus. So we are then preparing teaching, assuming that you want to be followers of Jesus and to be discipled. And that's the point of the Seven Deadly Sins series. Um, In Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, Peter, if you can put the next one up, it says this. Since you have heard about Jesus and you have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. So he wrote another letter to another church, to the Colossians. And this next verse, too, is similar theme. So put to death the sinful earthly things that are lurking within you. 
have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshipping the things of the world. And because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, of rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your sinful nature and its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. So Paul is saying to these churches, The number one project, the number one imperative for us as followers of Jesus is to die to our old selves and come into this new life. He's using this example like we're taking off old clothes, we're putting on new clothes. So if we want to be diligent about that, if we want to take that seriously, and actually, if you heard Crystal's sermon on sloth, which if you haven't, I highly recommend you go online and listen to it because I always thought sloth was laziness. And it's not. It's so much more. It's not, that's not even the definition of it, but it's essentially about diligence. So if we want to be diligent in pursuing our life with Christ, we we have to study. We need to be aware of these things. That's the purpose. That's the point. Another picture, word pictures that work well for me, was um, this, this quote by a theologian, Dallas Willard. And he says this. He says, we're saved by grace, of course, and by it alone and not because we deserve it. That's the basis of God's acceptance of us. But grace doesn't mean that sufficient strength and insight are just infused into our being at the moment of need. A baseball player who expects to excel in the game without the adequate exercise of his body is no more ridiculous than the Christian who hopes to be able to act in the manner of Christ when they're put to the test without the appropriate exercise in holy living. And so this is about exercise. This is what I've found since I got assigned this topic, which, by the way, when we got our list of the summer teaching series, we get assigned these topics by Gordy. Now, I think if there's a big issue, he would obviously take it, but my comment was more like, really? Anger and patience. (laughs) Thanks for that. That's awesome. (laughs) He just (laughs) laughed at me um, because I am a mom that has three young kids. And I used to think that I was not an angry person. I remember right before I had my kids, I was very pregnant. We had an issue with our phone bill that we just couldn't get resolved and couldn't get resolved. And I was so angry. And I was speaking to this person on the phone in a raised voice. And at one point, I remember saying to them, I don't think you understand. I am not the type of person that yells at other people. I I don't yell at people. Like, I am so upset. And I look back now, almost nine years of being a mother, I cannot say that I am not the type of person that does not yell at people. (laughs) I'm just not. And in, um, like... You better pray about what you name your kids, and you better give them names that mean good things, because you will say those 
things over them. That's why I have children whose names mean wisdom, light, and peace. Because <laughs> I tell you, you say their names, you say their... And as I was preparing for this sermon, this was exercise every time I got mad. There's a verse in the Bible that says, don't take it lightly to be a teacher. Like, you will be held to account for what you teach. And I'm not kidding. Every time I got mad, I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, why are you mad right now? What is going on? What is this about? What's this about? So, we're going to talk about anger today. Good times. That's what we're going to talk about. It's a goodie. So, yeah, all of this. So, we're going to study these, right? So, you get that. That's why we're talking about this. Is that clear, right? It's, it's for our own exercise. If we want to do this, then this is some weightlifting. We're going to get in the gym today. So, this is what we're going to do. So, anger in Christendom is actually kind of a complicated case. Smart people who think about Christian thoughts disagree about anger. There are two different camps. There is a camp of thinkers like the famous smart Christian thinker Thomas Aquinas, who thinks that anger is a natural expression of our human passions, that we're human people and we get angry, and that anger itself is not an inherently bad thing, but that if anger is misdirected or excessive or direct, well, I already said misdirected, directed at the wrong thing, it gets disordered. That's actually one of the names of the books we were given to study as teachers about the seven deadly sins. It's called Disordered Loves. So this idea that all the sins start with a passion or a good that then gets messed up. And thinkers who believe this, that anger itself isn't an actually a bad thing in and of itself, are very careful to distinguish anger, the passion, from wrath or rage, which is the vice which is anger in its excessive, misdirected form. So the other side of this argument are thinkers like a man named John Cassian, and he believes that anger is rarely, if ever, justified. He says, he takes a verse from the book of James. James 1.20 says that our anger does not produce God's righteousness. Essentially, that we are not God. So us getting angry and that God is not human-like. So for us to like put that thought on God isn't accurate. But that our anger, us getting anger, can't ever produce God's righteousness. So this is the theory. And he actually says um, we can direct anger at our own sin. We can be angry at evil, at the demonic that would incite us. But to be angry at another person isn't, doesn't ever produce righteousness, is this theory. I love that I can see you thinking about this. It's so awesome. You're like, hmm, what is going on? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I just like it. I like this feedback. <laughs> okay, I like that. That'd be great. Um, maybe in a second, because I got a lot to get through. We'll just let me, let me keep going. We'll talk more in a second. Um, but but the he but what Cassian says is that anger always has a blinding effect. And he uses the expression to say that when we get angry, it's like putting something over our eyes. And he says it doesn't matter if the thing that's over our eyes is made of gold. For example, our intention is purely righteous or it's made of lead and it's totally an unrighteous motive. If we're angry, we're blind. So that's his argument. And and what his quote actually says 
the, the righteousness of our motive does not change the fact of our blindness. So, two different thoughts. So, question again that we started with. How does actually understanding rage, or the pattern of rage, how does understanding this sin more, how does it actually help us become more like Jesus? Well, the first thing that we need to know about rage or wrath is that it stems, like most sins, from pride. When we perceive that justice has been perverted, so something right was supposed to happen, and it didn't happen, and it's wrong. Or from pride that gets wounded, or our rights are violated, but that's, I think, just kind of extrapolating the first thing. I mean, I think you can just say it's pride. So either pride that something else that we see, an outer thing that was supposed to happen that didn't happen, or our own pride is wounded, or our own rights, what we think is due or owed to us, is not given to us. So that's, that's where the, this, the root or the stem of it. This um, great quote here, it says, wrath is the love of justice perverted into the desire for revenge and the injury of somebody else. Justice is the proclaimed motive for every manifestation of wrong. And if you just think about so many books, so many movies, so many stories in our own lives, so many storylines, right? It's about just, with just something is wrong and it needs to be righted. I mean, I know this is a classic, but, you know, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That character from The Princess Bride, one of my favorites. He's from just revenge. Justice is his goal, his whole life. So Thomas Aquinas, who, if you remember in the beginning, one of the thinkers who believes that anger in itself is not wrong, that misdirected or excessive anger is wrong, he says anger is actually the instrument of justice. And that Jesus is our model for rightly expressed and rightly targeted anger. He he argues that Jesus was a human and he had the full complement of sinless emotions, but Jesus' character was defined by gentleness. Anger was not the primary mark of his character. And the thing that's interesting about anger is that other sins that we've talked about, like lust, gluttony, greed, are about what we can get. What's interesting about anger is that um, it's seated at a more significant level because God's created us for relationship with each other. We're meant to need other people, not only for life and clothes and living, but also for understanding and wisdom and companionship and fun and relationship and work. And so anger is actually a sin against our social life. One writer I read said, anger has no neighbors, only obstacles and enemies. And it's interesting. I mean, we just moved into a new neighborhood, and we're introducing ourselves around to the neighbors. There's this great series of Art of Neighboring a little while ago. It's inspiring us to be more proactive in meeting people and saying hi. And um, we're finding out that the people who moved out of our house weren't friends with everybody in the neighborhood. But when we've said, oh, yeah, we live at 6570, like one or two people have been like, there's two different people who've been like, oh, oh, so you're in that house, huh? Like, and we were like, yeah, but we're really nice, you know? And it's, I thought that quote, anger doesn't have neighbors. Anger has no neighbors, only obstacles and enemies. 
So it's, it's a relationship thing. The other thing that we need to go, if we're going to understand the pathology of anger, right? We've got to understand this sin. So pride, it's a social thing. It's a relationship thing. The other thing we have to remember about anger, it's a bodily emotion. Anger is something we feel in our bodies. When we get angry, you can see it in people's faces. Your blood pressure goes up. You're, I mean, I had issues with my blood pressure around the time I had my third babe, and I... I had to make sure I didn't get mad at my kids. I could feel it, could feel it in my body. I wish I'd had more knowledge about it then. Then I was just trying to control myself just on sheer will alone. But um, it's that, you know, we have that fight or flight reflex. It's the fight side of that. Um, And so we have to accept that God has made us to live in our bodies. Our bodies are not bad things. We're given our bodies. Jesus was given a body, still is, is incarnate, fully God, fully man. So we have to respect and love our bodies if we want to be serious disciples of Jesus about choosing to not be angry, which means you have to watch for like when you're crazy tired, as Karen said this morning, when you're hungry. In my family, people know that both me and my sister, if we start to get irritated, they actually say to us, when was the last time you ate something? Like, um, you know, we have to, th- like, what is, what is it that we can actually, um, what can we do? We, we, have, to, we ha- have to not fight it, right? It's, I think it's, sometimes it's easy to feel very spiritual. But it's a spiritual thing. I've just got to be spiritual. I can just be more peaceful and more loving. But we have to, if we want to be slow to anger, and this is a, a phrase that's used over and over and over again to describe God the character of God. In fact, the first time it appears in scripture, it's God describing himself. God appears to Moses in Exodus 34, 5 and 6. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and abounding I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So if we want to be like God, slow to anger. But I don't think we can be slow to anger unless we acknowledge that we're only human. So what does that mean for you? Do you have to go turn on some calm music? Do you have to take a bath? Do you need to go exercise? I never liked exercise. It kind of annoys me how helpful exercise is now when I do it, like how good it makes me feel. This actually helps me a lot. Um, do you need a hug? Do you know Do you know somebody that can give you a comforting touch? Do you need to just get some space? Do you just walk away? Like part of being a disciple of Jesus is just knowing. One of the main things I'm learning from our lead pastor, Gordy, as he's just mentoring me as I'm new in pastordom, is he said to me over and over, do not have important conversations on a Sunday morning. During, before the service, during the service, or after the service, the stakes are so high. Everybody's emotions, is, there's just, we just want so much out of our times together on Sunday morning. It's so easy for us to get frustrated or upset about things that if we just waited and sent an email on Tuesday, it would be so much less. And one of the principles is, when do we just need to walk away? When do you need to just say, I need to take a break? 
I know this will be fine. I love you. You love me. I'm just going to take a break. Walk away. So we have to honor honor the fact that we live in a physical body. But even though we can have good strategies for how we take care of ourselves, the bottom line is that rage is a heart and mind issue. It really does come down to our hearts and our minds. And once we know that pride, our own pride, is the root of rage, we have to look at our hearts. We have to look at our, what our priorities are, or what our vision is, how we see things, what we believe we're owed, what we believe our rights are what our rights are in relationship to being a follower of Jesus. The concept with someone being your master is that you don't have any rights anymore. You've given them away. You've laid them down. You've willfully laid down your rights. You don't have rights when it comes to being with Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have honor. That doesn't mean that you're not honored as a person that Jesus loves because God loves us and is inherently always after our good. So it's a safe thing to give up our rights to God. But it's a heart and mind issue. We have to look at our own assumptions. And also we have to think about control, right? How much control do we think we have over a given situation? How angry do we get when we're aware that things are not in our control? And sometimes just realizing what makes us feel threatened. I mean, sometimes as a parent... I'm getting mad because I just want my kids to obey me because I'm the mom. And there are times where they should just obey me because I'm the mom. I think. That's my opinion. But there's also times where I can be just carried away with what's going on and not honoring them as people, not looking at what they're doing. What are they in the middle of? What's happening for them? What am I, why am I getting, why am I getting so mad? This is the question I've just asked myself over and over again. So, yeah, lots to think about there. But we have to look and, and just ask ourselves, what, what do I think of myself? What do I think my rights are? You know, why, why am I getting so mad? The second question that we've been asking ourselves through these series when we've been looking at these sins is, what good does this vice offer apart from God? And the word good is in quotes for those of you listening online. So a perceived good. What quote good does this vice offer me apart from God and God's ways? And what's God's alternative to obtaining what we're perceiving as good, getting this good? So anger can seem like a good thing. People can think that it's a good, right thing to get mad. Again, as I already mentioned, right? Aquinas says anger is the instrument of justice, right? You're going to get, if something is unjust, you got to get mad. And we live in a culture here in North America. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's a very culturally North American thing to live in this culture of disclosure where we're all super excited about venting whenever anything goes wrong. That we're just going to vent stuff, that we have these shows where you know, people get on and they just tell their craziest secrets about their lives. And, and just even in our culture, generally, you know, I'm just going to vent. Just got to let off some steam. But I have been challenged on this in my life because I talk a lot. <laughs> and there's a verse in, a bi- in the Bible that says, do not let any talk come out of your mouth other than that's wholesome and for the benefit of the person that's listening. 
I can tell you that venting is the opposite of language that's for the benefit of the person listening. Venting is all about us. What I have to do, I have to let off this steam, but it can feel like a good thing to, to begin with. But our hearts, it's very, uh, very hard to control. Like, like lust or gluttony, anger is one of those vices that's a lot like a two-year-old. That the more that you indulge it, the more out of control it gets. So it's not like giving that vice six more cookies is going to help that vice calm down. Like, it's like, no, they're just going to get crazier. So the more we feed that anger, right, the more we're like, I'm just so mad. Um, you know, when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in, in Ephesians 4, 26, 27, he said, in your anger, do not sin. I think this might be up on here, but if not, I'll just put the, no, it's fine. I'll just read this out to you. In your anger, don't sin. So you can get angry, but don't sin, Paul said. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, and don't give the devil a foothold. Well, this might sound like a super obvious thing to explain, but once again, as a visual person, so a foothold is a place where if you're climbing up something, it gives you a steady place to put your foot so you can climb up on top of it and get a better grip. So what did it just say about who we're giving a foothold to? The devil. Don't give the devil a foothold with your anger. We're actually saying, devil, here, here's a great place for you to just latch on and climb on up on what's going on in my life. I don't know about you, but I don't want that. So that's helpful for me. This, is, this next quote, I think, is... Uh, is just a great one. It's very well put. Frederick Beekner, the writer, says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel. Am I the only one that's ever done this where you're walking around having an invisible conversation, right? Nobody else is there and you're going, and then I would say to that guy, I would say to that person, I mean, one time I was hanging out laundry and Sophia was like, mama, who are you talking to? Oh my gosh. So um, uh, to lick, to smack your lips, to roll over your tongue, the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you're given and the pain you're giving back. To be fair to me, I think it was more how I would make up with somebody, not the stuff I would inflict on them. That's not really my style. But anyway, I rehearse a lot of conversations. So both the pain you're given, the pain you're giving back is a feast for a king, right? There's lots to chew on when you're mad. You can chew on that forever. The chief drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. And the skeleton at the feast is you. Anne Lamott says it more succinctly. She says, not forgiving somebody is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. You know, it's, I'm just so mad, I'm just going to pour this down my gut, and boy, it's really going to bother that person who I'm so mad at. So delighting in rage can be a perceived good, but ultimately, it can't give us life. It can only take from us. Another perceived good about rage is that anger can incite people to action. 
Anger can move somebody who's too shy to speak up when they never would have spoken up before. Or somebody who would just feeling very weak, when they're moved to anger, they'll fight in a way that they wouldn't before. Or a congregation that's complacent, if they get mad enough about injustice, they can be moved to action. But, uh, you know, and again, Aquinas, who thinks anger in itself is not sin, he says even sometimes lack of anger or not caring about an injustice can be a sin. So we get angry about stuff because we care. So you could suggest that getting angry is a good thing. Because when we see injustice, we should care. It should bother us as followers of Jesus, as people who love God, as God, people who have been told to love our neighbor as ourselves. When someone else is hurting, the ideal as followers of Christ is that we would see that and say, that's wrong. That is not right. That should not be happening. One of the most famous quotes in all of movie history, I have a video here, we'll see if it works, is um, about inciting people to anger, and it's a man, and he just wants people to care about something. And for those of you who think the word hell is a swear word, you cover your ears, because he says it over and over again. Okay, so this is a, from the movie Network. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller and all we say is please at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel belted radios and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being, God damn it! My life has value! So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. I want you to get up right now. Sit up, go to your windows, open them and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Things have got to change. How many stations does this go out I know it goes to Louisville and Atlanta. I'm not going to take this anymore. Then we'll figure out what to do about the depression and the inflation and the oil crisis. But first, get up out of your chairs, open the window, stick your head out and yell and say, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. So, this is a guy who just wants people to do something. He just wants them to care, right? He just wants them to get mad about something. And what's interesting is in the movie, the, the family that's sitting around watching TV, the girl goes to the window and the dad says, what are you doing? I don't know if he thinks she's going to yell. She says, I want to see if anybody yells. And the producer, who just wants good ratings, is on the phone saying, are they yelling in Dallas? Are they yelling in such and such? How can we use it? It's so interesting. It's called Network. Yeah, it was in the 1970s. That's Faye Dunaway there. And I just, I've seen the clip. Oh, wait, can you pause this for a second, please? No. Can you pause Wade? You can't? I, I, I go to the pause and it just 
Okay, let's watch Wade then. Can you turn up the volume? Can you go back to the beginning? Okay, let's watch Wade. So here we go, guys. We're uh, still at the village. You can hear the kids playing in the background. This is Wade in uh, Cambodia two years ago. In front of uh, a pond on the edge of the cliffs where this village breaks rocks. Uh, it's really, really hot out. Um, and of course, one of the things we tell our teams when we come out here is obviously a heat stroke. Uh, heat exhaustion is a really big deal. We uh, ask our teams uh, we, to drink a lot of water so they stay hydrated. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, to find clean water in Cambodia, um, so we always bring our own. Yeah. This is my water. This is the village's water. Yeah. It came from there. This is what they drink. Doing justice. is as simple as giving someone clean water. The statistics of child death from diarrhea is staggering. More children die every year from diarrhea, from drinking this, than children who die of measles, AIDS, and malaria, and war. Global war does not kill children. This does. So that was a video that Wade posted online two years ago when he was in Cambodia. And whenever he posts a new video, the kids and I go to the computer, we're like, we're gonna see what dad posted today. And it's usually like, we're in the back of a tuk-tuk and we're doing something crazy, woo! And we ran to the computer that day and we watched that video. And we finished, and all of us were quiet, totally quiet. And um, it suddenly hit me, and I said to the kids, Dad's mad. He's really angry. He's really angry that those kids have to drink that water. And um, Wade loses his temper like we all do every now and then. He has never yelled at me in the 16 years we've been married. Never yelled at me. He has never lost his temper with me in an uncontrolled way. The children have never seen him, you know, in uncontrolled anger. And the four of us were sitting around that computer and we were like, whoa, dad's mad. And do you know he kept that water? He still has it in his closet. We just moved and I said, what is this? He said, it's the water from the village. The people in that village make their living by breaking rocks. The whole village breaks rocks for a month. And then they fill up the whole truck with gravel and then they sell it for like 40 bucks for a whole month of work. And what Wade's talking about to the kids today is that the World Health Organization has just released its figures for Cambodia, and finally Cambodia is making progress. They're getting toilets, they're getting sinks, but you know only 15% of the toilets that are there, that the sinks that have, have soap. And it's not even that they can't get soap, it's that culturally people don't hand wash because it's not part of the culture and kids are dying. And so when we see things that are just unjust, we should care. 
But the answer is, what are we disturbed about? How are we angry? And the caution with writers about anger and about wrath over and over again is that if any way we are not submitted, our wills, our hearts, our minds, submitted to following Jesus, the danger of wrath is that it's so easy to get too angry at the wrong things at the wrong time. And so we have to be rooted in our trust in God. This is... The, this verse, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get anger. angry. James 1.20, human anger does not produce the righteousness God's desire. It has to be that our anger, if we have any, is fueled by the heart of God, the justice of God, God's heart. I remember being in an intercession time, the first time I ever heard somebody say, God, in prayer, I am righteously angry at what is happening to these children. I believe it was Liberian. I thought, whoa, you can be righteously angry. So the third question we've been asking ourselves is, how do we use what Gordy called the judo principle? The idea in judo, I don't fully understand it, but I guess you use some of your opponent's strength against them. So how do we take the strength of anger? Because we're all agreed, or not just anger, but rage or wrath, when our anger gets to be too much. How do we use that strength against us? Because part of the vice of rage is that it gives us a feeling of power. It's not despair, right? It's not giving up. When we're angry, we're angry because we feel like something should be done. It can and should be done. And so we're mad. We don't want to be helpless. So sometimes we get angry because we just don't want to be helpless. But while rage is rooted in pride, the strength of gentleness and the steadfastness of love in the face of adversity are rooted in trust. Okay? This is a trust issue. Do we believe that God can handle things? Do we believe that his love never fails, that he never gives up, that he never walks out on us? Do we believe that even if we don't see it, that God's combination of mercy and justice will prevail? And a lot of times, it looks like it's not happening. And we have to believe because it doesn't, the world is not a just place. One of our mentors, we used to have a little greeting where we'd greet each other and say, you know, how goes the world? And he would say, the world goes not well, but the kingdom comes. And um, if we can channel, if we can use the strength of our anger and injustice into fierce trust that God is who he says he is, that our God will come to save us, that we can trust and not be afraid. And in justice, then we can believe that God will allow us to play a role in that. And that whatever God is allowing and making way for in our lives is the most loving circumstance for us. And that takes faith because we can't see that all the time. It takes trust. There are situations in my life, in our lives, in our ministry, in our time walking with God for my family that we obeyed what God told us to do and it did not, there was not in this world, in this perception, a happy ending. It ended poorly 
and badly and we were lied about and mistreated and treated wrongly and sometimes even threatened. There was no justice that we perceived for us. I can tell you that those are the times that we have most depended on this community. That we have most been able to show up here, how whatever we looked like in those times. There have been seasons where we have not been able to serve, where we have not been able to teach, and this community has just said, just keep coming, however you are, whatever that looks like. And God has loved us through you into a place where we really believe that justice is going to be done and that we might not ever see it with our own eyes. But we believe in the character and the faithfulness of God. And there are some of you today who are angry. You're angry at situations that have happened in your life. You're angry at things that have happened to people that you love. And you have every reason to be angry. I am not going to stand up here and tell you that if someone committed a sin against you or somebody that you loved. But here is something that stopped me when I was thinking about it this week. Jesus said, I'm gentle and humble in heart. Do you know why Jesus never lost his temper? Like when he sat down to clear stuff out of the temple, he made a whip. Like he sat down and made that whip. He did not go, I'm so mad, I'm just going to lose it. He was like, this is not right. I'm going to deal with this now. There's a verse in Mark where he's talking to the leaders in the temple where Mark actually says he was angry because he saw that the leaders in the temple did not care about this man. And he, Jesus was angry because of the lack of love and compassion in their hearts. But he never lost his temper. And the reason why, and this blows my mind, is because Jesus never was about defending his own integrity or his own purpose, because apart from God, he didn't have one. Apart from God, Jesus had no other integrity. He had no other purpose. There was nothing for him to lose it about defending. He was never angry about his rights, because he gave all of that up when he was baptized, and just said, I just do what the Father's doing. Just say what the Father's saying. So when I'm angry, whose integrity am I defending? Whose purposes am I putting forward? That's how we can look at Jesus, because this just knocks me out. Humility and gentleness are the twin powers. You can call it patience if you like, but to me it's much more helpful to think about it in separate parts. Humility and gentleness, like these wonder twin powers, activate form of patience, right? It's rooted in love that doesn't insist on its own way, like we hear about in 1 Corinthians. And gentleness and humility both get their strength from trust, from trusting in God's will. So I just want to be clear, too. Gentleness doesn't mean that you don't ever get angry, right? Or that we should never say that something is unjust. That's not what gentleness is. But it simply means that anger is not the primary mark of our character. That when people think of us, they don't perceive us as an angry person. It's not the number one thing. It's not the number one mark about who we are. That's gentleness. Because those who 
have the virtue of gentleness. And I loved this quote. I read this again in that Glittering Vices book. It said, those who have the virtue of gentleness have mastered their anger. Can you just go back, Peter? We're not quite there yet. Have mastered their anger instead of being mastered by it. Instead of feeling like your anger came and just took you over and couldn't control yourself. That's that judo principle that you are channeling that. That you're aware of it and you're looking at it. It's a, that's the virtue, right? That's the practice. How can I be gentle? How can I be humble? Why am I getting so mad? Is it my pride? So... Gentleness and humility, I've already said this, get their strength from trusting in God's will. So both sides of this debate about anger, as we finish up, both sides agree that when we're angry, it always has to be directed at the sin, right? Not the sinner, not the person, the sin that's happening. But there is disagreement about whether or not anger is something that we should strive to moderate or whether it's something that we should be striving to totally eliminate from our lives. And um, I... As, as I'm a peacemaker, I think there's wisdom in both positions. I, I, I agree with writers that say, um, you know, when, when you see something like that in Cambodia where Wade was like, we all cruised in here with these huge bottles of clean water and I'm making these balloon animals for these kids who are going to drink that. Like, it's hard to imagine a right response that doesn't include some degree of anger and injustice in things in the world that are not right. But at the same time, when I think about how often my own anger is selfish and not about justice, I feel like regularly practicing the habit of getting rid of anger from my life is a good thing, is a good discipline, is something that's worthwhile pursuing. So I think that we can have confidence that God wants us to be a part of speaking out against injustice in the world. I truly believe that that's God's call on us as his people, to speak out when there's things that are not right. But when we acknowledge that our role is not God's role, and that our own human anger isn't ever going to produce the righteousness of God, we can ask God to align our passions with his passions so that um, we can find a, a place a rightful place, an effective place in this world that's hurting. We live in a hurting world, and we're hurting today. No, just in and of ourselves. So, um, so how we channel ang- wrath from being a hellish habit into um, a holy passion, well, um, it comes down to asking God to show us anything that is going to come against our hope and our confidence. Because we need to have hope to believe that we can make a difference in injustice in the world, and we need to have confidence and faith that God is just and merciful and that we can trust him. So when we have wrath or rage, we want our own way. But when we can master ourselves through gentleness and humility, we can say, it's your will, God, that I want. So here are some thoughts for reflection as we go into um, communion. 
one suggestion that was given was, if you really think this might be an issue for you, or it's something that you just want to be disciplined to work on, considering keeping a journal for a week and noting every time you get angry. And you know, if you feel like you have to write a paragraph to justify why you were mad, you might be, <laughs> like, that's not the point of the exercise, you're simply just noting you know, why, what, what were the root causes, what was going on. Was I feeling proud? Was there control? Was I having trust issues? Did I feel afraid? Was I insecure? What's going on there? God, how can you help? And sometimes just noting it, just writing it down is helpful. Um, I would invite you, as you prepare your hearts to communion, to think about the times where you or the people that you love have not been defended where they were not protected, where they were not shown mercy or justice. And I want to invite you to ask God today where he was during those times. Because I truly believe that when the Bible says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, he was there. And that he is making a way for your healing. He is making a way for your wholeness, for the wholeness of and healing of the people that you love. So these are all these words we've been encouraged to clothe ourselves with, this list Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness. If you can just scroll down, Peter, there to the next slide. Patience. Is there anything there? I'll just read. So there's all this list of words that we've said today. Um, what, do you, what do you want to cultivate in your own life? Gentleness, mercy, kindness, patience, humility. Um, but... The question that I felt that I was to ask as we were going into communion was not, what of those things do you most need to work on? I felt like the Holy Spirit was pressing on my heart to ask you today, what do you feel like you most need to be shown? If you could have anybody come to you and share with you any of these virtues that were listed before, and I'm sorry, for some reason my list is cut off, but I'll just read to you again here. Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility. Oh, it's written on the back of the bulletin, if that's helpful. Humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. So what do you feel like you most wish you could receive today? What do you want to ask from, from your community and from the God that loves you? What would be your pick? And I feel like God is is going to show the, speak to us through there. So um, if I could just ask April and Ashleen to come forward to help with serving communion. We're going to um, receive communion together today. And part of coming to communion is preparing our hearts and asking God to show us if there's anything that he wants to speak to us about, um, if there's anything on our own hearts that we want to make right, and just determining before God to do that, that we not take the body and the blood of Jesus represented in these elements here lightly, but that we also recognize that because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we don't have to fight our own battles anymore. The Bible says God will come to save you. You can trust and not be afraid. So, Oh, just on a practical note, before I pray, we have 
bread today, and then we have some really special fry bread, which I'm so grateful for, Sharon made, but I think it's especially um, significant because our part of our family is, is with the First Nations people in Lower Post today. So um, you're welcome to come and take and break a piece off. Um, and then the way that we uh, receive communion here is we take a piece of the bread and then we dip it into the cup of juice. If for some reason you can't um, eat bread, please ask your communion server to give you one of the rice crackers instead. Um, we really feel like there's significance in you being served communion, that it's something that we share together. And so um, I don't, please don't go and take the communion yourself. Let someone give it to you so that you're receiving. And, um, and if you prefer to drink, the juice, we have small cups here and you can just ask instead of dipping the bread in and they'll give you a small cup. So whatever you'd prefer, just ask your servers and they'll bring it to you. So let's just pray. And if any of you have children downstairs, if you could, once we start praying, um, we're going to walk down this way and then come up here and receive. But if you can go get your kids so that they can come up and receive communion too, that also allows our kids workers to come and receive. That would be great. So I'm just going to pray before communion. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for everything that you have done in my heart through the preparation of this sermon. And I pray that your word, Lord, anything that's good, anything that's of you, anything that's been of value that has come out of my mouth today, that it would go forward in the purpose that you have meant it for that it would go deep into the hearts of my brothers and sisters who are hearing this message here with me today or um, online, Lord, that you would just be blessing each one right now, that you would be coming and showing what do we most need, what do we need, and that you are all that we need, that all of you is enough for all of us. Help us to trust in the places where we have fear, where we haven't felt cared for in the past or been let down or hurt or wounded. Help us to forgive in the places where we need forgiveness. And would you minister to us by your body and your blood? Pour it out for us. The night before he died, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his friends who were with him and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, he offered it up, and he said to his friends, this is my blood poured out for you. It is a new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we ask that you would come and you would minister to us through this special time together. And that as we go this week, to love and serve you, that you would speak to us as to how we can be more like you, slow to anger and abounding in love, gentle and humble in heart. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.